0: You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Keith, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. I first interviewed Nicole Johnson-Hoffman in 2012, when she was the general manager of Cargill's massive Fort Morgan beef packing plant in Colorado. We've spoken several times since then, mostly about how the global beef sector could operate more sustainably. But Nicole recently took a giant leap into a whole new arena. In February, she was named CEO of Future Meat Technologies, a cultivated meat company in Israel. To hear Nicole tell it, her new job isn't that different from her previous ones. Listen in to see the many ways she sees commonalities between the meat industry's past and the cultivated meat industry's future. When you announced that you were moving to future meat from OSI, I thought, very interesting, somewhat surprising. What in general have been the reactions of friends and colleagues? When I first told
0: my friends and colleagues and contacts in animal agriculture and in agriculture more broadly that I was moving to future meat and going to work in the cultivated meat space, I got an overwhelmingly positive response. So yeah, so not just from the people I called and told that I was doing this but also from the people I didn't say anything to who read about it and then who sent me messages of support afterwards. And I think the reason is that agriculture and animal agriculture is actually a lot more diverse than we think it is. It's filled with people who are working in this business for various reasons. Some of my friends who are really strong vocal advocates for animal agriculture said that they were happy I was doing this work because they know that I also am a supporter of the American farmer and a supporter of producers in this country. And so they know that if people like me are working cultivated meat, that the cultivated meat industry will not go down that dangerous path of vilifying and demonizing traditional agriculture. So that was an interesting response. And then other friends who were working in the sustainability space think that the promise of cultivated Meat is thrilling in its possibilities for feeding the world in a new way and working alongside traditional food production to bring a a new kind of food production system to the world that we need. So I was gratified and thankful for the support that I received.
1: Your career path has sort of meandered through so many different but related areas, and it's been such an interesting progression. How does this fit into your overall career trajectory?
0: I've had a longstanding, passionate commitment to improving the sustainability of the animal agriculture space and protein supply to consumers around the world. And so for me, this was an evolutionary step, not a revolutionary step. This is one more arrow we have in our quiver to deliver food to people around the world in ways that are good for the planet and good for people and good for animals. So I thought that the work was actually pretty aligned to my values and pretty aligned to my worldview. And also, I have reached a stage in my career and a stage in my life where I'm fortunate to be able to do interesting things, things that I care deeply about, and pursue some things that are maybe a little bit more future oriented than I have in the past. And that is really part of what's thrilling about this work and about this job. It's so future oriented. It's not just the future of a product, a product that we're bringing into the world that hasn't been here before, but we're also bringing food production system to the world that hasn't existed before. And then at the same time, I'm bringing a company to the world and creating something pretty special with the Team that was at Future Meat before I joined, and now this growing team that we're building around the world.
1: Well, it's interesting you say about being very sort of future oriented because, out of necessity, right now, basically all cultivated meat companies are pre revenue. And so, how far in the future do you think you're looking?
0: The exciting thing about cultivated meat is that it exists today. So, we are pre revenue, but we're not pre product. I eat cultivated meat. Probably every time I'm in the office in Israel and delicious and there's always some new recipe that the chefs are working on and it's a thrilling thing, but it's also really present and here in this moment. I think it's going to be within the next year or two that consumers will have the opportunity to try cultivated meat in all of the major markets.
1: Do you believe that the cultivated meat technology is necessarily more sustainable than in animal ag, as many people say they are?
0: Sustainability is a holistic concept and it incorporates a lot of different factors. So it incorporates not only your environmental sustainability, which would include your land and water use and your energy usage and your waste discharges, but it would also include your impact on animals, your impact on communities, and your ability to feed people high-quality food that they need in their diet. Other more traditional uh, animal protein companies are playing their part too, and together we're going to create a better world and a cleaner world and a world where people
1: have access to the food that they need. A lot of conventional meat companies are co-packing for the plant-based products. Would you expect that to be the case for cultivated meat as well when it comes on to market?
0: I think production capacity is a real potential bottleneck for the production of alternative proteins and cultivated meats and frankly, every other product that people want to bring to market. And some of the traditional companies that are already existing in this space are experts in manufacturing food for people and getting it distributed in a safe way and And ensuring that cold chain is managed and ensuring that the quality is there when consumers open the package. So it's natural. The traditional companies in animal agriculture would
1: participate in some aspect of this industry. So you've been in the position less than six months, and I'm sure you've learned a lot. What are some lessons that you expected to learn and maybe what are some lessons that have come up that were unexpected?
0: Once again, I'm learning the value of diverse teams. So I'm working in a team now that it consists of people who come from the biotech space, whose expertise in in the growth of cells and in the development of cell media is incredibly valuable and necessary for the success of this business. And we're marrying up that expertise with people who come from food, and putting these two industries together in a way that is super cool and is creating new solutions and new ideas every day. So I'm seeing that diversity. I'm also seeing the diversity of of people who are coming from lots of different countries. So our future meet team is really international and we're seeing the great ways that team can solve problems more quickly and i think more creatively than more homogeneous teams are able to do. So that's one lesson i've learned that isn't a big surprise to me because of course it's something i think you know i believe really deeply that diverse teams can do things that that you never thought possible. So that's pretty great. I also am seeing the speed at which startup companies operate and how exciting that is. On a daily basis we are moving 10 times faster than I've ever moved in my career before. And that is really fun and challenging and at times amazing. So that part's then another, another thing for me to adapt to this incredible pace, but it suits me and it definitely suits our team and it makes work really fun and exciting.
1: So in your experience, both on the conventional meat supply chain side and now I'm going to say alternative meat, although specifically cultivated. Where do you see these industries sort of overlapping in terms of their operations and also in their cultures and where are they different? People like to talk about the differences, but I feel like both sides, if you will, have much more in common than they do differences.
0: I think there's a false dichotomy that is created by people who are maybe trying to generate clicks or who trying to gin up some kind of conflict between people who work in traditional animal agriculture and people who are working in other protein production spaces. But it's not an either or proposition. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that's just not how people eat. Most people don't adhere to really strictly Restrictive diets for very long. Most of us eat a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we eat the things that taste good to us and that align to our values and match our family's budgets and hopefully have a positive impact on the world. And I know that that's what people who are working in traditional animal agriculture are trying to achieve. And that's absolutely what we're trying to achieve here too in cultivated meat. So we're going to come at that from different aspects of food production. And we're going to work on some different things. And at the same time, we're all working towards the same goal, giving consumers what they want, giving consumers what they need, and doing it in a way that's good for the planet, good for people and good for animals. So I think that's the ultimate convergence point. Now, along the way, there are a bunch of little tactical convergence points. We're going to use some of the same technology, for example. We're going to need some of the same expertise. And we're maybe going to use the same transportation routes or logistics providers. All of those things are potential connection points as well. It's an opportunity to bring the system together, uh, to deliver what consumers need and what the world needs, and to operate as a system instead of as independent, potentially even conflicting and competing parts
1: of the industry. Yeah, I see your point. And what do you think are the biggest misperceptions that each side of this false dichotomy have about the other? I see
0: that... There's a lot of misunderstandings about how food is produced. So for example, people who are working in in alternative proteins often will make statements about animal agriculture and traditional meat production based on maybe what they've seen online, maybe maybe some articles that they've read that are not necessarily accurate representations of what's going on on farms or what's going on in factories and what's going on in people's heads. And at the same time, people who are working in animal agriculture may make some assumptions about people who are working in alternative proteins or cultivated meats that somehow they're out to eradicate animal agriculture, for example, or make animal agriculture illegal in some way or to restrict their ability to do their work. Yes, of course, there are some people who are working in alternative proteins who have particular viewpoints of the world and are are working in this because that's the way they think they're going to advance that that perspective. But the vast majority of people who are working in alternative proteins and cultivated meats are food professionals who are in the business of delivering food to consumers that consumers want in a way that's good for the world. And that's the lot that we have in common.
1: Have you sat down and done a side-by-side comparison, or do you know of the ways in which you're mapping your impact on the community and the environment in cultivated meat are the same or different, better or worse than what is going on in the animal side? Is that anything that you would Give me the details on.
0: We're in the process of completing our first LCA, which is the best tool that everybody has for mapping a lot of their environmental impacts. And when we have our LCA completed, then you go through the continuous improvement process of identifying where it needs to get better and putting in place the kinds of practices that will improve your LCA performance. And there will be people out there, I'm sure, who will take great joy in running comparisons between Animal agriculture LCAs and cultivated meat LCAs, to me, I think, you know, the point of an LCA is continuous improvement. It's not for competition's sake. It's, it's right. to demonstrate that you're aware of your impacts and you're improving them. So that's our commitment.
1: Okay. And the key about LCAs is it's all in where you draw the boundaries. Is that still the standard against which companies are looking to measure their, their sustainability advancements?
0: I think an LCA is an important starting point for every food company. You need to have some baseline data. You need to be able to publish your information. You need to be able to share it with your stakeholders in a way that they're used to seeing it. And then, you know, allow everybody to have some debate and some discussion. But the whole point of sustainability work is that you're continuously improving your own sustainability outcomes. It's not that you ever rest on your laurels and say, We are better than everybody else. We're somehow superior and now we're done. Anybody who tells you that they're done is not really committed to sustainability. People who are committed to sustainability know that this is a never-ending process of improvement and also discovery.
1: Will future meets... First products do you think be a whole muscle product or are you looking at something more like meatballs patties and nuggets and that sort of thing as your first items to hit the shelves?
0: We know that our first products in the US will be chicken products. That's where we're really focused right now on finalizing our product development for consumers. (laughs) And we have various forms of that right now that are all pretty great. So we have some whole muscle, we have some formed chicken products as well, and we're just gonna see which one fits our customers best, for example, so we'll be working in partnership with certain customers to bring the products to market. And it will be a collaborative process to figure out which ones are gonna be the first products that consumers have the opportunity to try. But the important thing is we have both. We have more than chicken as well. So we have lamb already available or already ready, I should say, for future meat. And we're working on finalizing our beef and also finalizing pork as well. So multiple species. And then, of course, as you say, you're going to have to have the meats in the forms that consumers want them. Our vision is that consumers will have the opportunity to buy cultivated meat that they can use in their recipes in exactly the same way as they use traditional meat. So there are no trade-offs for consumers. They shouldn't have to adapt their recipes. They shouldn't have to.
1: Now we're seeing a slowdown in the business cycle and that's specific to plant-based. And I know that's not what you're doing, but do you, as an observer of the market overall, are you judging that to be a sign that maybe alt meat business is going in a different direction? You've been through a lot of business cycles in a lot of different ways. So what's, what's your thought?
0: One thing I, I know for sure is that when you're in the food business, the first thing that is an indicator of your ultimate success is whether your product delivers on the taste and sensory attributes or the expectations of the consumers. So it has to be great. It has to taste fantastic. And after you eat it, you have to want more. So the goal is for us, for example, is to bring chicken to people, that they love, they love it while they eat it. And then afterwards, that night when they're laying in bed, they think, I think I want to eat that again tomorrow. That's when you know that you have a winning proposition for consumers. You know, that's one of the great benefits of cultivated meat is that people don't have to try to convince themselves that something that looks like meat and acts like meat, but isn't quite meat met their meat needs. Some of these alternative protein products are fantastic and really delivering for consumers, and others are not. And I think that's probably what we're seeing.
1: There are an awful lot of cultivated meat companies specifically that have started in the last five, six years. Each of them, I think, has a a different technology, a different approach. Do you see five years from now, seven years from now, that there's room in the market for all of these different cultivated meat companies, or would you expect a consolidation within that part of the alt meat business as well?
0: I think there's room in the market for cultivated meat companies that deliver great products at good prices in ways that are food safe and make product available to the consumers in the right locations. I like to say that our target demographic is people who eat meat and also people who don't eat meat. So, I mean, if you think about that as your potential target demographic, there's a huge amount of space for successful cultivated meat companies in the marketplace. The size of the pie is not the limiting factor when it comes to cultivated meat, it's going to be execution capabilities.
1: A number of companies, and you've talked about you're going to have US headquarters, cultivated meat companies are heading for the States. And I would not have thought that the US market in particular would be considered the next domino to fall in this, particularly in this regulatory sense, which I think I've I've alluded to earlier. Why the states?
0: So this is an interesting thing. We have people all over the world that are interested in eating cultivated meat, potentially in producing cultivated meat, maybe in distributing cultivated meat. So there's a lot of activity going on in other markets. Besides the US, the, the size of the US market is what makes it so exciting. There are so many people in this country who would like to be able to access cultivated meat. So it's a natural place for people to put their production facilities. But it's not going to be the only place. And we've already seen some are participating in Singapore, as you mentioned, and have already got you know, some activities going on there. And then, as you say, there's a lot of strong interests from European countries as well, where people are quite comfortable with alternative proteins, and are quite interested in solutions to problems associated with conventional meat production. So you have to put a pin in the map somewhere, and for us, our first pin in the map is the U.S., but it's far from the only place that we'll be producing cultivated meat in, let's say, five years.
1: We're doing another interview in five years or 10 years. And what will you be telling me about at that point?
0: I am certain that I'll be telling you that the cultivated meat industry has grown in ways that nobody could have predicted, and it's meeting needs that maybe we didn't even anticipate back in 2022, when you and I first talked about it. The last two years have taught us that these are volatile times and times when problems are going to be coming up that we haven't thought about before. And we're going to need solutions that we haven't even dreamed up yet. And I believe with my whole heart that cultivated meat will be a solution to problems that haven't even come up yet. And to some that have. So five years from now, I'll be pleased to be sharing with you the different problems that we've solved with this production method and this way of bringing meat to people around the world. And also that we will be bringing it to people's homes and making it real in their homes so that it's a a product that they want at a price they can afford and it's available to them in their houses.
1: Nicole Johnson Hoffman may be the first to walk that bridge between the conventional meat industry and cultivated meat As the alt-meat market in all its forms grows and matures, however, she certainly won't be the last. You can read more of our interview with Nicole in the October issue of Alt-Meat in print and also at alt-meat.net. You can also go to our website to subscribe to our twice-weekly newsletter and bi-monthly print magazine dedicated to the business of alternative meats.
0: Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meat magazines on social media and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeat.net.